0: I want to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Alex read the text for us uh, so wonderfully tonight. And we're going to go through it piece by piece, but Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse number one. The message tonight is that sin is sin and grace is grace. Sin is sin and grace is grace. Luke chapter 13 Beginning with verse number 1, we're going to dive right in tonight. If you're there, say amen. 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 Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse number 1. The Word of God says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. We're going to stop right there. Uh, the context is this. Jesus is teaching, and in the middle of his teaching, there's a group that are there, and those present want to ask him a question. They interrupt him, it seems like, and they try to throw this question in, maybe to to change his train of thought or to take him on a different direction. And in essence, what they ask is about an incident that has occurred, and we don't know in history what exact incident this is, uh, other than Luke presents it to us. But we know that it's true to Pilate's character. The incident is there's a group of Galileans at a religious festival, and it seems that during the festival. Excuse me, as they are praying, as they are sacrificing, Pilate has them murdered. And so this group asked Jesus about their, this uh, incident and wants to know, what Jesus, what do you think? Jesus, what do you think? The truth is, uh, in essence, they were saying, Jesus, how about those Galileans? Those folks who were killed during the religious festival? They must have been pretty bad for that to happen to them, huh? the first century Jewish world would hold a pretty firm belief that those who are good are rewarded and those who are sinners will suffer. We may not look at suffering the same way as them but if we are honest sometimes we operate on a merit system. That those that are good are rewarded and those that are bad are suffering and if someone is suffering then it must be because they are bad. You see many of the folks that are listening to Jesus in this moment were religious people. Like most people, they were probably hoping for affirmation for their own lifestyle and their own beliefs. You ever been there? Looking for affirmation for your own lifestyle or belief, wanting to hear an attaboy or that you are better than someone else. These religious people are in essence seeking for that from Jesus. Jesus, these folks, they were murdered. It must have been because they were pretty bad. You can tell us now how we're better than them, right? Because we're not suffering. See, when I I worked for my dad, he's an HVAC, uh, owner of a HVAC company. He does HVAC, uh, air conditioning, heat, uh, electric, and when I worked for him, I, I always loved when he would give me affirmation. I was not very good, but some days I would go to work and decide, you know what, today I'm going to take apart this unit faster than I ever have before, and I'm going to show my dad that I know every part in the unit. I know where the, I know where the condenser is. I know, I know all the, where the motor is, the fan blade. And I know how to take it apart, put it back together. I would want to show my dad, Dad, I know what I'm, I'm doing today. And I always loved when my dad took note of how good I was doing ironically I sought affirmation from my dad but I could care less about the job that I was doing not one single part of me wanted to be an HVAC technician or or an owner of a small HVAC company I just wanted affirmation from my dad the truth is was and still is that I was not very good mechanically Uh, my wife if she were in here would say amen to that I am not very good mechanically Take me out in the woods. I can build you a shelter. I can help us to live for years. But if you want me to build something and make it nice or fix something that you want actually fixed right, don't ask me to do it. Thankfully, my dad didn't value me for my HVAC knowledge or my mechanical skills. He just loved me because I'm his son. What I want you to see tonight is to consider that how do you view your relationship with your heavenly father? How do you view your relationship with your heavenly Father? Do you work on the merit system? Do you live before God Almighty as if it's a merit system? That the better you are, the more He's going to love you and the worse you are, the more far away from Him you're going to be. Do you come to Him in repentance knowing that His grace is enough and that you are loved simply because He calls you His own in Jesus Christ? How do you view your relationship with your heavenly Father? You see, when these people ask this question, Jesus, what about those Galileans? What about those folks that were were killed before Pilate? What about these folks that they suffered so terribly? They were sinners, weren't they? They had done something wrong to suffer so badly. You see, Jesus didn't give the answer that the people expected. What I want to invite you into tonight is to dive in to Jesus' response. And we're going to learn four truths about our relationship with God from Jesus' response to these people. Jesus says this, verse number 2, And He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Jesus brings up another incident of where some folks suffer greatly. And he says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Four truths that we find in this text. The first is this, sin is sin. Sin is sin is sin. I want to tell you tonight, and I don't want to bust your bubble, but there is no such thing as a worse sin than another. The murderer, the thief, the liar, and the adulterer are all on the same level in their sin condition. Sin is sin. There is no ranking system. There is no one thing that is greater than another. Sin is sin. Sin. And I know that may sound like something that you know, that you know in your mind intellectually, but how often do we come to the altar, we go before God and we do, like Luke mentions in chapter 18, we pray that that Pharisees' prayer, God, thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. How often do we even subconsciously go, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm doing better than the next person. Thank you that although I may not be the best person in the world, I'm not like them, God. How often do we catch ourselves measuring our sin and our our badness compared to someone else or our goodness compared to someone else? The the Bible tells us in this instance, this Pharisee prays that prayer and the the answer in in essence is, newsflash, you are as bad as the next person. Sin is. Is sin. You see, the problem is that any amount of sin, any amount of brokenness, none at all, zero, is compatible with the Lord your God. That even the smallest sliver of brokenness or sin or wrong or unrighteousness is not compatible with who God is. The smallest speck of sin removes us from God's presence. Jesus looks at these people and he says, Do you think that because they suffer that they are worse than you? And, and it's so, if you think about it, it kind of catches you off guard because Jesus doesn't say, Hey, they're not worse than you. He says, You're all going to suffer the same way. They may seem like they're in trouble now, but you're going to be in trouble later if something doesn't change. Your sin is equal to their sin, and, and you are all coming to the same end if you do not repent. No measure of sin is compatible with God. Sin is sin. It's all the same. And even the smallest iota removes us from God's presence. Now I know that's not the most magical thing in the world, but I think that we need to hear it. It's not uplifting, it's not encouraging in and of itself, but it's a baseline that we need to start at, that, that sin is equal, it's all the same and none of it is compatible with God. You see, I think we need to know that that no matter how long you've been following Jesus, I hate to tell you this, maybe it's just me, but I doubt it. When I chose to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, guess what? In God's eyes, I became righteous. In God's eyes, I became good. But not because I was good, because He saw his son Jesus in me. I hate to tell you, but when you started following Jesus, you didn't all of a sudden become a good person. Even bigger than that, I don't care how long you've been following him, and I, I love each and every one of you, and I like to think that there are very good qualities about you. I like to spend time with you, and some of you are extremely generous, loving, kind people, but you know what? In and of yourself, you're still not a good person. I know you say, well, I don't want to hear a preacher say that. I don't care. It's truth. You're not a good person. If you were a good person or you could be a good person, Jesus Christ wouldn't have gone to the cross for you. It wouldn't have been necessary. Sin is sin and I I hate to tell you, you're in it. Which brings us to point number two. Sin holds us all. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Suffering and death is the measure of us all outside of God intervening in your brokenness, your lot is to suffer for eternity. You uplifted yet? Feel good yet? This is Jesus' response to these people. They say, Jesus, they suffered. They must be bad. And Jesus says, no, you're all bad. You're all going to suffer. You're broken. Unless you repent, you're going to perish the same way. You see, I want to tell you, someone else in life may seem to have it worse than you right now, but outside of Jesus Christ, eternity is all going to look the same for you. Of pain and suffering. I promise it will get encouraging. Hang in there. I had a friend growing up, and I won't say his name, but I had a very wealthy friend, and his family, I mean, they were blessed. This family was like the type of family that it seemed like they just had a horseshoe or a rabbit's foot in their pocket all the time. His mother uh, owned a massive produce, uh, 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 not produce, a poultry company, and his father was, uh, was a businessman that, that owned or was high, very high up in Lowe's Home Improvement, and they were very wealthy people. They were also kind people and genuine people and and they were so good to me growing up, but it seemed like everything went right for this family. I had another friend who was also dear to me who literally it seemed like his family could not catch a break. Every time you turned around, they had a financial struggle or someone in the family was sick. Uh, He had lost both of his parents. His grandmother was raising him the best that she could. Every turn it seemed that they made seemed seemed to be something miserable in their life. One, blessed beyond measure it seemed. The other, uh, seemed like misery followed Him everywhere that they went. But what the Bible tells us is that in the end of all things, outside of something intervening in their life, their destiny was headed to the same direction. That if something didn't change, although this one could be fortunate every day of their life, and this one could seem miserable every day of their life, if nothing changed, they both would end up in an eternal death. Sin holds us together. All. See, there are pastors that say, listen, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to suffer at all, but there's a theological doctrine. It's called theodicy. It's the doctrine of suffering. And what the Bible teaches us about it is that not you don't suffer because of your sin, it teaches us that you, you do suffer because of your sin. See, sin is not just the things that you do wrong. Sin is the thing that is a condition that it covers you and everything around you from the time of the fall, everything from your body to your mental capacities to your psychology to the nature around you is corrupted and tainted and damaged by sin and that sin has caused suffering. And I'm here to tell you tonight that you are suffering because of your sin. Because of my sin, because of sin in general, you will suffer. And although Jesus Christ has rescued you from your sin, this side of eternity, you remain in a corrupted world that is under the effect of sin. And you will, I'm sorry, my friend, suffer. And I want to tell you there's the common saying that God, when your loved one passes, for example, that God took your loved one because He had a better plan. But I, I want to tell you tonight, no, sin took your loved one. God did not take your loved ones. Sin did. Death exists in and of itself because of sin. Sin holds us, grips us all. It has corrupted all that God had made and intended to be perfect, and no one is outside of this corruption. You are not good no matter how you look externally. My prayer is that now we're at a baseline. And I know this is the Gospel at its heart, but my friends, I want to tell you, listen, you can't hear the Gospel enough times. You can't understand it too deeply. You can't take it in too much. This is the Gospel. Number one, sin is sin. Number two, sin holds us all. Jesus' message was, listen, they didn't suffer because they were sinners. They suffered because of sin. And just like they are under this condition, under this curse, so are you. And all are going to end up in the same Place, But my friends, i got good news for you tonight. And I know you know this message, but let me remind you one more time. The third thing I want you to know is this. Grace is grace. That as much as sin is level across the board, grace is the same. It is beyond measure. It is sufficient. Grace is enough. Grace is grace. Keep reading because what Jesus says next gives hope. Verse number 10, he tells a parable. The Bible says now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Excuse me, I jumped way too far ahead. We're going to go back to verse number 6. And he told this parable. I was getting so excited, I just want you to hear about a woman delivered. We'll go back to the parable first. How about that? And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree. I want you to picture this fig tree. It's planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Now what good is a fig tree if it doesn't bear fruit? I don't like figs myself, but I imagine someone does. It seems like Jesus does because he talks about fig fig trees a lot. There's a fig tree in this man's vineyard and he came seeking fruit in it and, and found none. The, the fig tree was sterile. It didn't produce any fruit. And verse number 7, and he said to the vine dresser, look for three years now. I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. My friends, I want to tell you tonight that God is completely within His rights to leave you in your suffering and even to cut you out. In this parable, it's God that is the vineyard owner and He's come to see the the fruit on the fig tree and there is none. And He decides after a long period of waiting and patience, when the fig tree does not produce fruit, He asks the vine dresser to cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered Him and said, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Jesus tells this parable for a reason. He's announced, hey listen, unless you repent, you're all going to perish. You're all going to come to the same suffering end that the Galileans and those at Siloam did. But He follows with this parable for a reason because He says, hey, this is the scenario that God has prevented. That although this is to be your end, You have not produced fruit. You will not produce fruit. Your sin prevents you from being fruitful in any way, shape, or form. And although God has been patient, there will come a time of judgment, but He says to the vine dresser, why don't we just cut this fig tree down? And the vine dresser says, wait, let's wait one more year. And let me dig around it and put manure on this tree and let's see then if it will bear fruit. And if not, then you can cut it down. In essence, what Jesus is saying, let's offer grace which is unmerited favor. See, the fig tree was not going to bear fruit because it changed by some degree. The fig tree may bear fruit because it's been dug around and manure has been put on it. Then it may bear fruit. I want to remind you tonight that the fig tree did not put manure on itself. It did not dig around itself. It did not uh, fertilize itself. Nothing changed about the fig tree. But the vine dresser says, I'm going to dig around it, I'm going to put manure in it, and then let's see if this life-giving sustenance will change the condition of the tree. Grace is grace. You will not bear fruit on your own. Whatever is offered to your condition is unmerited favor and reward. That's called grace. It is completely unmerited favor. The digging around the tree and the manure represented life being given to the tree and then the tree had the option to bear fruit or not. In essence, Jesus has dug around you and He has placed the manure upon your tree, upon your life, and it's up to you now to turn to Him in repentance and begin to bear fruit. All the conditions have been given to you. You've done nothing to deserve it yourself. Grace is grace. So what do we do? The whole passage is about repentance. How do we respond to the grace that's been given? How do we grow in the manure that's been planted around us? It's by repentance. I know y'all are getting tired of hearing about it, but church, I believe that the work of the church in this season and every season is repentance. When John the Baptist came, guess what he preached about? Repentance. When Jesus came, guess what he preached about? Repentance. It's not an ugly word. It's a gift. It's the idea that God has given you the opportunity to turn away from your brokenness and away from your sin and turn to Him and He has promised that if you'll do that I will welcome you with open arms there will be no questions asked there will be no looking at your resume there will be no gauging whether you deserve it or not if you will turn away from your sin I've got you I've got you This is what Jesus is telling those people. He's saying, listen, I want you to know, don't gauge yourself. Don't measure yourself to someone else. Don't look at them and think they're worse than you. Don't try to feel good about yourself by looking at the the downcast position of others. Listen, you're all bad. You're all on the same level. And none of you are going to be good unless you turn to me and receive my grace. Grace is enough, but grace is the only way. It's not a mix of grace and your favor. It's not a mix of grace and the good things that you do. It's not a mix of grace and how you treat the people around you. Grace is offered by repentance. There's no other way to get it. If you are not coming in repentance, you're not coming to Jesus Christ. You may be headed beside Him or in a similar direction to Him, but the, the gate is narrow and there's only one way it's to come to Jesus Christ, and that is by Repentance. The ground is dug for us and the manure is placed and you aren't going to bear fruit because you were a good tree. You're going to bear fruit because you've been offered life, giving conditions. I tell you this to tell you we talked in the beginning about this seeking affirmation and seeking to weigh yourself to others, but that is literally contrary to the Gospel. In truth, the Gospel is you were nothing outside of the God who loved you. You are nothing outside of His grace and His mercy. And I I want to be, I I love you guys. I I want you to feel good. I want you to love uh, who you are, but I only want you to love who you are in Jesus Christ. Because outside of Him, you are not good. I am not good. I will not be good. Your value and your worth is found in Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the the teenagers and and part of the reason I love working with them is because they are seeking those answers. I talk about them all the time, but I I think they're important. They're seeking to know their identity, their autonomy, and their belonging. Who am I? Do I matter? And where do I fit? And the reason I love working with them is because those answers I get to share are only found in Jesus Christ. Who am I? I am God's child because of Jesus. Do I matter? I matter enough for God to send His Son to die for me. Where do I belong? In the family of God. There are no answers outside of that and we cannot mix those with other responses. All God is asking you to do is respond to the life that has freely been given to you. How do you do it? You do it in repentance. I know it's not a flashy or complicated message, but listen, where God is leading the church next, He leads by repentance. And if the body of Jesus Christ would come to the altar and lead in repentance, you would be amazed by the things that God would do. In class this year, we've studied renewal theology and revivals, and there's the Welsh revival, and there's the revival that happened uh, in Toronto, and there's revival at Azusa Street, and there's revival all throughout the centuries of the church. And the one thing in common every single time was prayer in repentance. And we can talk about it all day long, but repentance is not something you talk about, it's something you do. It's an actual act. It's an actual behavior of turning from your sin and your brokenness to Jesus Christ. And the problem is, I think sometimes the church has thought that it's something you do at your conversion, your regeneration, when you've come to Christ for salvation. But repentance is something you continue to do over and over and over and over again. It's something you do daily. Jesus said, take up your cross. Not once in a while. Not when you get saved. Not once every ten years. He said, take up your cross daily and follow me Take up your cross daily and follow me. Repentance should be the lifeblood of the church. It should be what we do every single day. We should do it individually. We should do it together. Listen, I know we are Americans, and one of the hardest things for us to do in this country is to acknowledge we are wrong and to say we're sorry and to look out for the people around us instead of just for ourselves. But I'm here to tell you tonight, Jesus meant for you to do this communally, and he meant for you to live a life where you are literally daily recognizing I'm broken, I need help. God, come to me. I need you. That is what the church is called to do. I end with this. If we aren't careful, we will begin to operate on a merit system. The church today, I'm afraid, more often than not operates on a merit system. How do we gauge the most valuable people in the church or the leaders in the church? More often than not, it's the ones that are sharing with you how much they have done or how many people they have helped or how many ministries they have served in or how much they have done for the poor and the needy instead of the people that have practiced repeatedly saying, I'm broken! I'm vulnerable! I'm weak! I'm not capable! I'm not good enough! I don't deserve this! except that Jesus Christ loved me. That should be the model of who we are, not a merit system of of who's the good and who's the bad and have I done enough to get God's favor. You see, this affects not only our inward view of how we see ourselves and our salvation, but it affects how we see others. The church, I'm going to be honest with you, can be one of the, the, no, not this church, of course, that can be one of the nastiest things on the planet. Why? Why? Because more often than not, or too often, it is the place where people are looking around to try to gauge who is holier and who is not. To try to decide who is the one that deserves God's love and who is not. It's the reason that the the ones that smell terrible or look bad or you know have lived a broken life or have come in drunk or addicted to alcohol or to drugs or have a record, it's the reason when they come in the door, we'll welcome them in. We'll turn our noses up though and then we'll talk about them when they leave. Those are the candidates. Those are the ones that are going to most freely receive God's grace because they know that they don't deserve it but they've been offered it and it's real. It's real. If we're not careful, we'll operate on a merit system. It leads to affirmation, seeking, and judgment. Here's your reminder straight from God's Word tonight that the Christian life is not marked by your goodness, but by your repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We turn to you. Help us, Lord, to lead in repentance. God, I ask you to to work on my heart tonight. Lord, as I I preach a message and think about adding more or making it more complicated or adding illustrations, all these these silly things, and God, I, I feel like I've said what you wanted me to say. So, Lord, thank you. That although sin is sin and sin holds us all, your grace is sufficient. And all who repent and turn to you receive your grace. So God, we repent, we return to you one more time. May we do it over and over and over again because God, we are not good. Your goodness has been placed in us. And the righteousness in us is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when you see us, Lord, you literally see us clothed in your Son, thank you. Thank you that you don't look at my broken heart and my dirtiness and my nastiness, but God, because I place my faith in your Son, you literally look at me and you see him and you see his righteousness and you see his purity and you see his cleanness. And God, you have looked at me and you have decided that you're going to give me, Lord, the inheritance of your Son. You've called me yours. God, I pray that every person in the room tonight knows that's there for them. God, that they feel it deeply, fresh and anew. God, that they would know that despite their worst sin, despite their, the most broken place they've ever been in their life, despite how dark their, their journey has become in moments, Lord, that you look at them and you do not see them out of merit or favor because, God, they could not get there, they could not earn it. But, God, that you can look at them and see your son. God, we pray tonight for those in the room and those online, Lord, if there's a single person that, God, they they think, Lord, that they're good, but your Son is not in them, God, convict their heart even tonight that they are not good, that they are in need, that they are broken, and that they are desperate. And, God, we come to defend the truth tonight, tonight, Lord, that there is no other way, there is no other truth, there is no other life but your Son, Jesus Christ. Stir that heart, Lord God. Give them the boldness and the courage to repent. And give them the assurance, Lord, that in repentance they will not perish. And that while suffering may exist in this life and in this moment, Lord, that eternal life is theirs for the having. And that nothing, nothing can separate them from Your love. Lord, for the person tonight that is trying to measure up Lord, that has accepted Your grace once upon a time, but tonight finds himself comparing themselves to someone else. Feeling less than or even more than. God, let that person know that less than, more than doesn't matter. Only their relationship with You matters. And that their relationship with You has deemed them worthy. And that is it. That is enough. That is all. Help them to look to You and nowhere else. Help them to come to you in repentance once again. Lord, if there's anybody in the room tonight or online, Lord, that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, give them the courage and the boldness to come to you in repentance. Give them the boldness and the courage to share that with us, that we can celebrate together, that we can grow together. God, you called us to do this together. Thank you. Thank you for the family that you've given us, for the wonderful people in the room tonight. Lord, help us to know that we do not need to earn your favor. You love us. You love us enough to die for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.